I'm sorry, that was free. You don't have to pay for that part. The, we say, just sang a song. Um, that says, I'm going to sing till my heart starts changing. I'm going to worship till I mean every word. And that's a word I believe that's for us, that sometimes we, we're singing songs and we, we can't really honest, we're not being truthful about it at the moment. We're singing those words in faith. So I'm going to worship till I mean every word. Because the way I feel and the fear I'm facing ever been there? The way I feel and the fear I'm facing doesn't change who you are or what you deserve. And this is, this is probably the most important phrase in that whole song. I'm going to live like... I'm going to live like my king is risen. going to preach to my soul that you've already won. And even though I can't see it, I'm going to keep believing that every promise you make is as good as done. I want to really focus on I'm going to live like my king is risen. Um, I haven't seen it yet. What's that new Jesus movie? Jesus Revolution? Is that right? Um, sorry, my... Ten, tinnitus, tinnitus, whatever that is, is is acting up this morning, so it's kind of, uh, um, so I have to see your mouth moving, Juliet, if you're going to talk to me. Um, and my tears are flowing, so. Okay, appreciate it. Um, about 20 years ago, uh, in Durant, there was a fire, Um the the first the first building that Victory Life had was a double wide trailer, and that's what they met in. And it, um, Pastor Dwayne came and helped out a guy whose marriage had fallen apart and didn't know what. And so Pastor Dwayne said, "I'll I'll uh, for six months I'll come and help you out." That guy's name was Steve, but it's not me. Okay, um, he said, "I'll help you out." For six months, and then you come back and you take the church and everything will, you know, be like it was before. Well, it grew, and with in less than the six months, they were grown out of that trailer. They had, actually had people that would come and stand on stools and look in the windows to listen. Um, it it was packed out, so they built a um, they built an auditorium, and it, it was the Rock Church building, if you remember that. That burned down. Um, Pastor Dwayne got a call at home, and he lives in Kingston, just just west of Durant. Just, I mean, just across, still on the lake, kind of. And so he's driving in, and he can see the smoke from the fire. And all the way, he goes, "God, you've got a problem." <laughs> You got a problem. You're gonna, but he just trusted that God would take care of the situation. It, we have an annual, uh, we have an annual church meeting called Jubilee every year, and it was only like uh, six weeks before Jubilee. And the smoke from that, it was connected to the big building that we have now, where the auditorium is, and it, the smoke damage affected all of that building, and so. 
During that time, um, some of the kids who were teenagers, they were doing like a summer camp there on the church grounds. And they saw their church burn down. They saw where they had been baptized, where they had, um, they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They, they, all their experiences of the, those young people had been in that building. And um, it, it was a tough time for them. But several of those people are pastors of Victory Life locations now. They were teenagers then, and they're in their 30s now. And um, they said that that fire marked a place where a change of perspective happened for them, where um, those same church leaders, they said that was their Ebenezer. That was their the, the monument kind of laid down as a memory point for them uh, that commemorated a change where Victory Life Church went from my parents' church to this is my church. And it happened that very day. And, and in the subsequent experience of the next six weeks, because Jubilee still happened on time, and, uh, and it, it's just amazing what, what happened during all that. But they saw God work in a miraculous kind of way during all that time, from where it went from my parents' church to this is my church. And I, I want to just pose a question to you, because I think this is on a lot of parents' minds, even if they don't say the words. And that the question is this, what needs to happen for my children to be able to say the same thing? And by children, I mean, I mean school-age kids or younger, all the way up through high school, and even into college. What needs to happen for me to be able to say the same, the same thing that my kids will say there was a point where it went from my parents' church and I was just going and, and I was like coattail. I was tagged on to what my parents' experience was and, and then there's a switch where it goes, oh wow, I'm in. I'm all in on this. What has to happen for our kids to come to that place? I feel like I should share what my own experience is that, um, well, let's, if we look back 30 or 40 years ago, what it was like to go to church and, and, and how your kids made that transition from I'm going to my, I'm going with my parents and I'm experiencing church, whatever it is that they do. I'm just kind of coming along and maybe something happens and maybe it doesn't. Um, I think that 30 or 40 years ago, there was a 50 50 chance that kids would follow in the footsteps of their parents as far as having a similar worldview or spiritual view as their parents. I mean, it really happened by accident. But if I take a quarter out of my pocket and flip it, whether that happened or not, it's 50-50. And I think that as parents, we may have thought that, oh, those are pretty good odds. I'll just, we'll just go with the flow with that, right? Um, and we, we did 
we did what we knew to do, and what we did was what our parents did. They dragged us. We had a drug problem. We got drugged to church every Sunday and Wednesday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, all those other things. And But it, even then, it was kind of like a, a 50-50 chance. I heard somebody's phone ring. I'm going to make sure mine's turned off. Okay. So, um, it was a 50-50 chance. We might get it and we might not. There might be a place where we're 16, 17 years old where we go, whoa. I mean, it just, a light comes on. We go, I'm really into this. I'm, I'm in. Like my parents are, I'm in. And I kind of see what, the things they do, and, but, but yeah, I'm in. But it's just as likely that I would go, you know, I don't know. Um, I think I probably need to stay home and plow, um, get on a tractor and, you know, uh, cut some hay or something like that. I mean, that's when I was in high school, that was a, a priority kind of. Um, I might go hunting. Just whatever. We might let other things become a priority. How does that happen? Well, I saw my dad do it, <laughs> that he would he, uh, make something else be a priority. He'd stay home and work cattle or something like that. But there was a 50-50 chance that that would happen. It's not that way anymore. And we can't passively expect that our kids are going to, that the light's going to come on with them. And I mean kids, I'm I'm looking out and I'm not going to look at anybody specifically, but I mean, um, I mean teenagers. I mean 10, 11, 12-year-olds. I mean seven-year-olds, six-year-olds. Because the things that you're, if you have a six-year-old kid, the things you're doing right now will determine whether or not they come to the place where they say, I'm in. Do you know what I mean by I'm in? With access to information is just, at, it's at a place in history that it's never been before. I was watching a period piece movie about um, exploration, and uh, this person was just looking for information of when something happens. Um, um, he's in Japan, uh, and it's in 15, the late 1500s or something like that, and he, he was trying to prove that, that certain things that with, paper, with the Pope and years that things are... I'm thinking... Why didn't you just get on the internet? I mean, I, I know that that can't happen, but in my in my mind, I was just thinking, well, can can he look it up somewhere? When when I was in school, we had a uh, well. When I was first in school, we had an Encyclopedia Britannica. Did any of you ever have an Encyclopedia? Br- How, okay, raise your hand if you had a world book. Uh, yeah, Encyclopedia Britannica is the boring version of a world book. It had no pictures in it, no color, no nothing. Um, so, yeah, world book was a big improvement. And if you did some, if you wrote a paper or did a research thing, you went to world book, right? 
Or you might have gone into the library and, and card catalog. If you were lucky, you had access to some periodicals like Time Magazine or, or uh, American Psychiatric Associate. Uh, y'all may not have been into that, but that, um, now the amount of information that's available to kids. I mean, it's, this is nothing new. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But think about the impact that it has on them. 30 or 40 years ago, the amount of, of information that a child had access to, and a child, any age kid, the amount of information that we had access to was so limited that if you were like me, and I don't think very many people are like me, I'm kind of strange, uh, how many books I'd read and things like that, but I, I was taking in so much information and but compare that 30 years ago to what how much information just information like i mean think about i i'm not i don't want you to do it but get out your phone and look at um google uh pull up your browser and look how how many things you googled this last week. Yvonne, you didn't Google anything? Good for you. Ray, okay, let, just let's do it. Uh, show of hands, uh, anybody that Googled anything this last week? Um, that's, not, that's 95%. Um, I'm not... Uh, I Google actors. I Google how many... Uh, I, I Google places in Korea because uh, our our son and his wife live over there. Um, uh, just all kinds of things. And young people are living with that being the normal thing is that there's just so much information. Not only is there a lot of in, just raw information, there's uh, their access to viewpoints. When when I was growing up was 50 years ago, y'all. Just confessing right there. So I, I understand that we're uh, we're, we're talk, we've got a, a lot of different kinds of experience uh, in this room. But until you got to be 15, 16, 17... Your viewpoint was your parents' viewpoint on almost anything. So there's a 50-50 chance that you're going to have that same viewpoint going forward. And the, the likelihood of you having some vastly different viewpoint was pretty small. The likelihood was small that you would have a, a viewpoint that was way different from your parents'. It often happened when you went away to college. But the funny thing is well, that back then, when I went to Texas A&M in 1976, most of the professors there had the same viewpoint as my parents. In fact, most of my professors had, this is unusual, most of my parents had more conservative viewpoints than my parents. 
Because my parents grew up in the 60s, um, the women's movement, uh, Vietnam, all those kind of things were happening. And so my parents, and they, we lived in a university town. In fact, we lived in College Station. And so we were right there on the A&M campus, and my mom worked there too. That was unusual in 1962, 63, for your mom to work. But my mom worked on the campus there for the meteorology and oceanography department. Um, she was a draftsman. They still called them draftsmen then, even though she was the only one that wasn't a man in the entire building that she worked in. So they grew up in that atmosphere, and so they, uh, there was a little bit of difference. But my professors were more conservative than my parents. Um, newsflash, it's not that way anymore. In fact, if you send your kids off to college right now, the likelihood that they're exposed to ideas that are vastly different from your uh, um, view of the world, view of politics and everything else, the likelihood is very high that they will come out way different from you. Say that again, Yvonne, without God. And not just, eh, yeah, we, it's not that way. No, it's an indoctrination, an attempt to indoctrinate your young person that you've cared for all this time, indoctrinate them in anti-God. Um, there is no God. So when you say, I'm going to live like my king is risen, and then you throw them into this environment where everybody says, what? They're, number one, no king. N- number, one, number two, not risen. Number three, there is no God. That's, that's very likely what they'll be exposed to. There are good Christian people on, there's, there's awesome Christian people who are teaching in our high school here at Chandler, and I'm thankful for that. There are awesome, uh, good teachers in, in every university campus, but there is an overall in education, um, I believe, and this may be unpopular, I'm sorry, teachers, I'm not talking about you specifically, but um, I, I discovered as a consultant and working with emotionally disturbed kids for 13 years in public school uh, was how many had socialist ideas that everybody should get the exact same thing. Um, I had an argument in a meeting one time because a girl that was in a wheelchair was not allowed to get on this real little unusual elevator that they took books up to the second floor and she wanted to be in choir and it was on the second floor. And a, te- a teacher said, well, that's not fair for her to get to ride the elevator. Uh, those football boys with a broken leg don't get to ride the elevator. That, that idea that everybody should have the same thing. And it's not for fair for somebody to have something that they need if everybody doesn't get it, right? I said, that this girl, two years ago, she used a cane. One year ago, she used crutches. This year, she's using a, uh, a wheelchair. Next year, she'll have to have a, a powered wheelchair. 
and her only goal in life is to make it into Baylor University. I know y'all, y'all don't appreciate that, but her, her goal in life was just to make it there because she knew she would die before she graduated. I said, and you have this idea that she needs to be able to run laps like everybody else. And she would love to. But that, that idea that everybody should have the same thing, I am not looking at my time. I am sorry. That, that's the kind of thing that your kids are going to be exposed to. And, and, and we need to be careful of that. But that's not the worst thing. So the question is, what needs to happen for my children to be able to say the same thing? That there's the place where my parents' church became my church. That's the question we're looking at right now. No, that's not the important thing, is that your kids might be exposed to something in public school or in, in a university or something like that. That's not the, that's not the worst thing that can happen. The words, um, the words of that song, I'm going to live like my king is risen. They go, they're in stark contrast to a term that became popular just a few years ago, and that is um, the term... Christian atheist. Christian atheist. Have you have you ever heard of that term before? Anybody heard that? A Christian atheist. It sounds like um, an oxymoron, like like jumbo shrimp or military intelligence. I'm sorry, Greg. I didn't mean. That. Um, sorry, Sarge. Anybody? Uh, June. Sorry, uh, you. Uh, some of you career military people. Um, um, Christian, you appreciate that, huh? Um, Christian atheist describes a person who claims to be Christian, but every aspect of their life says there is no God. They claim to be Christian, and all the words they say, and, and they may go to church, and they may do a lot of things, but the majority of their life is lived like there is no God. You don't recognize the Ten Commandments as being uh, uh, at least a guideline for your behavior. What did Captain Jack Sparrow say? Not so much a rule as a guideline or something like that. That you act like a Christian, but that you act like you're a Christian, but most of your action says there is no God. That put that right next to the statement, I'm gonna live like my king is risen. And if your kids were to place you on a continuum somewhere between those two things of being a a Christian atheist or that you live like your king is risen. Even the words of that, if, if it's your king, what does that do? 
then you do their bidding, that, that you recognize that they are Lord of you. And the way you live your life is in service to, to their goals and objectives. When Yvonne gives that word that, that, that asks the question, and it reminded me of the, one of the first speakers at the women's conference that spoke about her heart for the lost. And growing up, um, how much of a focus on the lost there was. Now, to be fair, I was, I was in vocational ministry. Uh, I was a youth and music pastor in the Houston area, and I was at a meeting one time, and they had the nickel and noseboard. Do you all know what that is? It tells how much the offering was last week and told how many people were in Sunday school. And this one told how many people were baptized. And it had how many people were in Sunday school, and it was like about 110 or something like that. And they had baptized 600 people the year before. That's like 10 people every Sunday. And I just had this vision of like, y'all know what a sheep dip is? Where they, the, they run the sheep up one side and you go in the uh, trough and then they come out the other side and they're all wet. And that that's what the baptism, that baptistry there must have looked like. They're just people going in and getting wet and coming out the other side. And, but where did they go? And where did all those people go? So to be fair, it there, there may have been something called evangelism happening, but what did it really look like? But that passion for the lost, we don't seem to have it now. So we have that. And if you were, if you were going to live like your king is risen, how much, would it, how much would your behavior go to that area that you'd have that passion for the lost? And the truth is, most of us hang around with people who aren't lost most of the time. If your kids are putting you on that continuing continuum between Christian atheist and I'm going to live like my king has risen, where would they put you? Because if, if it fades over towards that you live your life every day like your king has risen, I think that that will have an impact. If it, if it informs what you do with your money, what you do with your time, and how you talk, what the things you watch on TV. I hate to say that it's more likely that your kids will become Christian atheists, or at least Christian agnostics, than that they become real born-again Christians. What do your kids see? What do your kids see? That's going to have more importance than what, what they're exposed to later. It's what they're exposed to now. Every day, day in, day out. We're going to have communion this morning, and I want... And the reason why is because I want your kids to see you taking communion. And we believe in believer's communion. It's open communion. You don't have to be a certain denomination or anything like that. Um, we invite... It's, it's usually believer's communion. But 
when I, when I talk to kids about communion, I often pull out a picture of my grandchildren. I don't have I don't have that anymore. I do have there's my two oldest granddaughters right now, and I ask kids what what's that, and they go that's Annika and Aaliyah, and I go no it's not. Well, yeah, it is. I go, no, it's not. It's a picture of them. It's not the thing. That, that's not them. That's a picture of them. That's what communion is. Communion is a picture of a thing. It is not the thing. And really and truly, nearly every, um, nearly every sacrament that exists is a picture of the thing. It is not the thing. Baptism is a picture of something that's happened in our lives already. It's not the thing. We've, as religious people, we focused on the thing a lot. But as we partake of communion, I want your kids to partake of it. That they're going to take that bread and it's going to be the body of Christ. And they're going to take that cup of juice and that's going to be his blood shed for you. And they're going to see you take it. And I want you to, and I'm talking to every parent right now, every grandparent, I want you to discuss this with them later, what it means. Unlike some denominations, we don't believe that is the thing. It's a picture of the thing. When Jesus said, "Um, you can't be mine unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it said nearly everybody left him at that point. Because they didn't understand. Your, your children need to understand. And I pray that that's just one step in, in a transition from your kids lacking awareness about who you are and what you believe. That it's the first in a step towards your kids being able to know that you live like your king is risen. I'm going to worship till I mean every word. I'm going to live like my king is risen. I'm going to preach to my soul that you've already won. And even though I can't see it, I'm still believing that every promise you make is as good as done. You know, I look at a lot of you and I know situations that you've been through. And, and most of you know me and some of the situations that I've been through. And sometimes I'm singing these words in faith because at the moment I can't see it. At the moment, it doesn't seem like God is even God anymore. But where where did Jeff go? I think did Jeff. Oh, Jeff is right there. I'll let I'll let you go up, Dale, and you can take care of Corbin and Courtney up there, and maybe Pam in the nursery. Greg on the door. Is Greg on the door? Okay. Don't forget me, Jeff, and Juliet. Let me let me pray for us right now. Father, in 
in what is the miraculous, magical way of the Spirit. I pray that children will be able to see through that veil into the things of the Spirit and discern the meaning of of these cups this morning. That this will be that first step in, in answering that question of placing parents on on a, a spectrum between Christian atheist and someone who lives like their king is risen. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to take the cup that has the bread in it. And The word says, Paul says, what I received concerning the concerning communion, I've given to you. That we, though we're many and from various backgrounds, are one. Because it's one loaf of which we all partake. And Jesus broke the bread and blessed it and said, take, eat. This is my body, broken, striped with lashes for you. You may partake. Pam and I were involved in the walk to Emmaus and one of the things that we did in communion was we used a King's Hawaiian big giant loaf and I always liked the picture of that because it's one loaf of which we all partake and I would break that giant loaf of bread. Some of that's lost in these little crackers but I'm sure y'all appreciate the cleanliness of that and that my hands aren't all over the... But that's the picture Jesus took something like unleavened bread and a a tortilla, amen, and and passed that around. And everybody broke a piece off, all from one loaf. Because we are one. And kids, as you partake of this juice right now, it represents the blood of Jesus shed for you on the cross to wash your sins away. There's so many pictures. But what Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for you. And just for you. And all the benefits that come from it. You may partake. out early so speaking of the Methodists you, you're going to beat them to the cafeteria um, I pray that you're blessed I pray God's blessing on your family your children Pickens 
Jackson kids. Y'all are barely kids, but I'm going to pray for you anyway. Smiths. Grandchildren. So bow with me. Father, I pray that, that you would give us vision. That you'd give us vision for steps that we can take so that our kids understand that that we believe our king is risen and that belief it affects how we do things day to day it affects what we do with our time and our money and all those things father not just for a better church or or, or even for your kingdom to operate different, but, but solely that our focus would be on what we're giving to our kids and what the future of the church will be because of them. Because even though those children are the present for church too, because of what they can give and what and and that you said that they're they're a picture of the kingdom. The things of the kingdom are such as this as you held on to that little child. But that there is no future without our children for the church. They are the present, but they are our only future. Inspire us by your Holy Spirit. To be a blessing to our children and a blessing everywhere our foot falls. That our lives would be not just what we do on a Sunday morning, but our everyday life. Eating and sleeping and breathing and walking. That it would all be for your glory. And a testimony. Everywhere we go. In Jesus name. Amen. God bless you and have an awesome week.